Good morning, Cornerstone. My name is Matthew, and I'll be doing the scripture reading for today, which comes from Exodus chapter 3, verses 9 to 15. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are pressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Matt, for the scripture reading. I think uh, he was reading a slightly different version than the one on the screen, but that's okay. Um, good morning again, Cornerstone. Welcome to our service here today, and thank you for the, the few of us who are here in person. Thank you for showing up, and it really is uh, great and joyous that we can begin uh, this process of meeting together um, as a church. And um, some of you I haven't seen in a very, very long time, and so it's great that uh, I can see you. And I know Pastor Jeff really wanted to be here, um, and he wouldn't really miss this for anything, but he had planned a vacation long ago, and he hoped that uh, it wouldn't fall on this week that we start, but um, it, it happened to be this week. And actually, funny enough, uh, Pastor Jeff uh, was away the very last time we met back in March 2020 as well. And so, um, yeah, unfortunately, he's not here uh, with us today for our Sunday gathering, but he'll be here next week, and we hope and pray that they have a uh, restful time off and that we can continue to meet more and more in person moving forward as well. So uh, we're continuing our series through, um, it's a topical series called Heart Check, and we're looking at these uh, sinful habits these um, sinful things that are in most of our lives that we want to address, and we're trying to look at more of the root of our sins, the things that drive us to rebel against God and to turn uh, away from Him. So Pastor Jeff uh, last week addressed uh, the underlying issue of pride, how pride is the foundation in many ways of the sins that we'll be addressing moving forward. And because pride is the sense that it's all about me, right? That is at the very root of actually why we sin. We are seeking to satisfy ourselves, our, our own desires, to make ourselves God, to do what we want to do. So all of these other sinful habits we'll be addressing uh, come from this selfishness that we innately have, this me-centered attitude that we have to want to live for ourselves and not to obey the Lord. Uh, so uh, today we'll be looking at uh, the habit of excuses and addressing why we make excuses, excuses. So let's pray and ask the Lord to help all of us reflect on his word and his truth today. So let's, let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we uh, pray for you to speak to us, to open our hearts, to see the ways that we sin against you, and to help us, O oh Lord, to address the excuses that we make. So God, as we look at this passage, Lord, may you open our eyes to see um, how you spoke to Moses. Lord, may you speak to us here as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we make excuses all the time, right? Um, and if you Google uh, most common excuses, the first thing that pops up on the search bar, you know, the suggestions, is, the, uh, is for missing work. That is the very first thing that we see. And the top Google search you see is a Reader's Digest article that has a list of the most ridiculous excuses for why people miss work. So I'm going to just read a couple because they are quite ridiculous. So uh, one is uh, an employee called in sick because he ate uh, cat food instead of tuna and became deathly ill. Uh, that's a, a little odd. Um, and, and number two, employee got stuck uh, in the blood pressure machine at the grocery store and couldn't get out. Um, yeah, I, I've used that before and I've never <laughs> gotten stuck in that. Um, number three, uh, employee broke his arm reaching to grab a falling sandwich. Uh, that's uh, another one. I've, I mean, I've like hurt my shoulder reaching for things that are a little too far, but breaking your arm is definitely a reach. And the last one I'll share is that employee was bowling the game of his life and couldn't make it to work. So I think that's a, an honest excuse that he probably made, saying, I was just bowling and I just I couldn't stop. I'm sorry. So, um, yeah, these are, you know, excuses that we, these, you know, these are a little bit ridiculous, but we make excuses all the time, and, and if you see a, a theme here, it's, it, a lot of the time we do it to avoid blame or responsibility, right? And this comes to the underlying theme of how we make excuses because we have a fear of man. And what I mean by that is showcased in John chapter 5, 41 to 42 and 44. So let's, uh, let me just read that. So Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So we seek this glory from others instead of seeking the glory of God. That's what it means, essentially, to have this fear of man. So because of that, we make excuses um, and we... Uh, defend our behavior. We justify our actions to make ourselves look better in the eyes of others. But, but we just don't do that. We also try to make excuses to justify our, accent, our actions to other people, but we also make ex excuses to justify our actions to ourselves. So we often do this regarding our own sin. We make excuses for our sins and justify ourselves to make ourselves feel better, that we'll, we're better than we actually are. And this is in our human nature, to, to prop ourselves up, to be prideful, to feel like we are better than we actually are. And we try to justify to ourselves and convince ourselves that the decisions we make were about uh, being right uh, in this circumstance and defending whatever decision we make. And it's just like Adam and Eve in the garden, where Adam blames Eve for eating from the forbidden tree that led to sin coming into the world. And, and Adam is trying to justify not only to the Lord, but also to himself, that it wasn't his fault, 
right? No, it was Eve's fault. It was this woman that you made, right? She's the reason why I fell into sin. And he's trying to feel better about himself. But reality is we need to be humble and, and realize that we are truly sinful, that it is our fault, that we are responsible, and that we have no excuse for our sin. We deserve death and punishment, but, but Christ, as we know, has overcome our sin and has taken uh, the, our place on the cross. And so we do not need to make these excuses anymore. But instead, we, we own it, we take responsibility, and we seek forgiveness from God. So to give an example, there was uh, one high school student I knew who uh, says uh, he or she was a Christian, uh, but the student admitted that he had cheated most of his high school career. So basically cheated his way through, through most of high school, homework, whatever, labs, I don't know what you guys do in high school, uh, exams and all this stuff, quizzes. He cheated most of his way through high school. And actually, I know that this is not uncommon, that a lot of people cheat through way, uh, their way through high school. Um, I know that our youth group student, students share this, that this is actually true. Now, you might have thought that in retrospect, this person would have been sorry for what he had done, that he realized he was doing something wrong, and he was confessing some wrongdoing he did. But no, he was actually making excuse after excuse as to, as to why he was justified in cheating his way through high school. And so, to himself, he, he felt that he had every right to cheat. Everyone else was doing it. Why wouldn't I do it? It's basically evening the playing field, right? Well, isn't that the right thing to do? Why is that wrong? And we see this in Scripture that when sin goes unchecked, it can be extremely destructive, making us even think that bad things, obviously bad things, are actually good and right. Romans 1.32 addresses this, and it says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So the scriptures tell us that we are so sinful that even the obviously bad things in our world, we consider them good, and when others do them, we praise them for it. And that is how our world is. When sin has come into our world, we make excuses for things that are obviously bad, and we justify them. Now, to put a disclaimer on all this stuff about excuses, not every excuse is bad, obviously. There are times where uh, we try to do something good. Our intentions are truly good, but something gets in the way where we cannot follow through, right? Um, there's, there's things that are out of our control that we cannot you know, we cannot do anything about. And uh, instead of that being an excuse, some people call those excuses as well, but in reality, those are just reasons as to why you cannot do what you wanted to intention, uh, originally do. And they're just circumstances that happen in our lives where we just couldn't follow through. There are emergencies that happen. There are things that just happen to us that we couldn't do anything about. We, maybe we get sick and, and our health uh, fails us, and so we can't do anything because of that, right? But what we're talking about here is it's not those things. We're talking about excuses that we make that, that we truly know are not right, and, and they're not because they're out of our control. The excuses that we're addressing are those we excuse to, to uh, make ourselves uh, not to blame, to not put fault on ourselves, or to justify our actions. And again, we do this because we don't want to be held accountable. 
or accept responsibility for the choices we make and the possible consequences thereafter. And we also make excuses all the time because we'd rather be ignorant, right? We'd rather just not know, and we'd just rather lie to ourselves, and we make ourselves, make ourselves think that our actions are justified. And we just say, oh, I didn't know. I'm, I'm just ignorant. I just didn't know that was the truth. We do that sometimes as well. And so um, we, we see here with Moses that we are very much like him in the excuses that we make. So finally, we get to our passage for today. So Moses here experiences a, a miracle where a God shows up in person and speaks. And that is what uh, uh, theologians call a theophany. Um, basically, a theophany is a moment where God miraculously shows up in a visible way. And we see God show up uh, in other times to Moses as well. In chapter 19 on Mount Sinai, we see God reveal himself. And also later in chapter 34, uh, we see God reveal his glory. And Moses describes it as a a glimpse of God, and he sees the backside of God. And in my head, I imagine it as seeing the butt of God, right? Um, And and we see this in the New Testament as well, where uh, if you know the story of Paul, Paul is blinded on the road to Damascus, and, and God shows up to him in a visible way. So when this happens, we know that it is something important, and, and it, is usually, it usually means that whatever God is saying or is about to say is really, really significant or important. And in this case, it really, really is, because God is calling Moses to do something special, to, to go out and to save his people from slavery in Egypt. Now, for a little more context of Moses' life, he was an Israelite, a He was born an Israelite in Egypt, and during that time when he was born, his people were enslaved. And uh, and also during this time, they had uh, this ban on baby boys for for Israelites, and so they were all being thrown into the Nile River. But after Moses was born, his mother hid him, and eventually Moses' mother sent him down a basket in the Nile River. You may have heard the story. And then Pharaoh's daughter finds him and decides to keep him and raise him. So Moses grew up in Pharaoh's household, but he also knew he was an Israelite. Um, And he became well-educated, and he uh, grew up knowing that his people were actually in bondage to Pharaoh. But then one day, Moses saw an Egyptian beating one of his people, and Moses got upset and angry, and he came to the defense of the Israelite slave and ended up killing the Egyptian. And so when Pharaoh learned of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses ran away, and he fled to the country of Midian. So now we're at this point where God shows up here. Moses is living a life where he is just tending sheep. He's become a shepherd, kind of just doing his thing in the country of Midian, and he comes across this burning bush. And what made this bush remarkable is that it was a bush that was on fire, but it didn't burn up. Then as I mentioned earlier, God calls Moses and he shares his plan that he will lead the Israelites out of slavery and out of Egypt. Now, again, if we're being honest, we would probably uh, have a similar reaction to Moses, Moses in terms of how he makes all these excuses as to why he can't be the one to do it. And, and we, we do this very often where we make excuses for not answering God's call. And what, what God is calling me to do seems kind of crazy or impossible. Maybe we've had that thought, right, where, where God... Um, has maybe called us to do something, but we think it is way out there. We can't possibly do it. 
So what we see here is Moses making all these excuses as to why he shouldn't be the one. He can't be the one to lead the people out of Egypt. Um, And again, Moses may have come up with these excuses because he just didn't want to go, right? He just was like, nope, I'm I'm good. (laughs) I don't want want the trouble. I don't want to deal with this mess. I don't want to go. Um, but it seems like here that he, he sees the, the, the living God come before him. He, he is in awe of him, and he hears this call, and he knows it's a good thing and the right thing to do, but he just feels like he, he can't do it. Now, if he really just didn't want to go, and he just was going like, to be like, nope, God, I don't believe this whole burning bush thing. I'm like hallucinating or whatever. I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to answer this. Obviously, God wouldn't have shown up to him in the first place. And, so, and, and that's not what we're talking about here, right? If that's our excuse that, oh, I just don't buy into this, I'm not going to do this, like that's a whole different issue. That is a heart issue. That is a faith issue that we have. And so the assumption is that we, uh, we believe in God, we believe in what he's calling us to do, but we still make excuses as to why we do not answer his call. So, uh, so we see from this passage here today, it continues on in, into chapter 4, but we'll, we'll go through them, and we didn't read that part of it, but we'll see some more of his excuses that he makes here. So, so the first thing that he does, and, and this falls under the umbrella of uh, the main excuse that he makes, which is the first one we see, and he basically says, I am unworthy to be used by God. And Exodus 3, 10 to 11 shows us this. It says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, many times uh, we feel unworthy to be used by God as well. And, And we say to ourselves, just like Moses, like, who am I? Like, who am I to be the one to do this? And I think we can all relate to this where we feel truly unworthy. Like Moses, we feel that we don't know enough or we don't have the right answers. And if you ask a lot of pastors, they they felt this way when they were called. Like, who am I to be the one to, to lead a people to know who God is? Who am I the one to be preaching week after week and, and teaching week after week? Who am I to be the one to do this, right? Um, verse 13 says, then, then Moses said to God, if, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And so Moses is just continuing on in this reason as to why he is unworthy. And he, he says he doesn't know what to say. He feels like I don't have the answers. Right? I don't know the right things to say. I don't know the answers to the questions that people will ask. I, I'm not smart enough to do this. And how many times have we made this excuse that we don't um, share the gospel because, oh, I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't know the right answers to the questions that people will ask me. You know, I'm not smart enough like a pastor or someone who's more trained in this. I, I can't do it. Right? And, and we feel this way at times. We don't have the right words to say, or we don't want to teach, or maybe even uh, facilitate a small group because, oh, I don't know how to respond. I don't know how to have the right answers. I don't know if people say certain things. I don't know. I'm not going to be able to be, be able to respond. And again, pastors even do this where like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not gifted in preaching. Oh, I'm not the one to be able to preach each week. 
But the reality is, if you are called as a pastor, right, you are called to teach and preach. That's the, what the Bible says. And so we see that, um, again, we can relate to what Moses is going through. And so Moses continues to harp on how unworthy he is. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he goes on to say, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So he, he believes that people will not believe him, or they won't respond to him, or they'll doubt him. And it, it ties into our next excuse we see here in chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. So Moses is again saying, I am not talented enough. I am not gifted enough. And because of that, people will not respond to me. They're going to doubt me. I am, I'm just not a good orator. I don't speak well enough. I'm not a good enough, eloquent speaker. I don't have persuasive words. And, and then at the very end, he just simply says, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Right? That's what Moses says here. Just send someone else. He just feels completely unworthy, and he feels like someone else can do better. Now, again, this is all very relatable, and we do this when we make excuses, especially when it comes to answering God's call. Um, and, and the reality is, though, that um, the church always struggles to have volunteers. And I'm not talking about our church in particular, but I'm talking about every church, almost every church you go to. It is rare to see a church that would say to a person who wants to volunteer, oh, you want to volunteer? Um, there's like a wait list that you have to, you know, kind of wait, like there's like 30 people ahead of you. So maybe in a few years, you know, you'll, you'll move up on the wait list, you know, yeah. And just, just wait. Right? Usually that is never the case in a church. Even at, at, at churches that are big, like, you know, they have thousands of people, you actually hear stories about how they are desperate for people to serve, and people get burnt out in these churches where they basically have to serve like, like it's a full-time job, but they're volunteers. And, and some of the more prominent churches, there have been stories about them on the news and social media where you hear stories and testimonials where they have been burnt by the church, where they are burnt out, where they are treated like slaves, essentially, as volunteers in the church. And, and so, again, you know, this is not right. Churches shouldn't do that. Uh, many f volunteers do ultimately, though, feel work to the ground, and, and churches need to do better, and that is truly horrible. Um, and that may mean churches have to figure out different ways to, to do less or plan their ministries better. But essentially, that also means more people have to serve. At the end of the day, that is the reality, that more people have to serve. And the sad reality is that they, there are churches with thousands of people. You would think it, they'd have hundreds of volunteers, but that is not always the case. And, you know, essentially it's just easy math. The more people who serve, the, the easier it will be on everybody else who serves. The, the load will be shared and the responsibilities will be shared. So that is the call for each and every one of us to be a part of the church and to serve and to use the gifts that God has given all of us. And so there are many needs in the church, many needs in our church, and the one we always talk about is the children's ministry. Right? People make excuses as to why they can't serve children. Um, I've heard things like it's too hard to teach children. Um, it's intimidating to, to teach children as well. And that is true. They can be intimidating. They'll, they'll, you know, we won't be quick to like, make fun of each other or insult one another, but kids will make fun of you, and they will insult you, and you have to be able to handle that. 
right? That is the reality of children sometimes where, you know, they will kind of be real with you and insult you sometimes, and it may hurt. And, and, and people think it's not worth the effort also. People think, oh, it's so hard to teach them. Like, do they really learn? Do they really know? And, you know, we've heard all of these things. And, again, the truth is it is really hard. It requires a lot of help and energy. You know, they can't teach themselves. You know, we, when we lead our classes or small groups, we teach each other, essentially. Right? But kids can't do that. We cannot have the blind leading the blind. Right? So others have to come in and teach our children, and it requires a lot more. And because of their age differences, it requires a lot more. You can't teach the same thing a four-year-old that you would teach a fifth grader. No, that would be very, very bad to do that. And if you do that week after week after week, the, someone will be missing something or nobody will be learning anything. Right? And so that's why it requires more resources, different classes, so that we offer the best opportunity to teach our children the gospel. And that's the point of what we are doing, to teach our children the truth of the gospel, to plant the seeds of the gospel. And Paul talks about how this can make such a profound impact on your life. And so again, I know I'm, I'm saying a lot here, but ultimately God, I'm sharing this because God doesn't always call us to do what is easy, what comes easy to us. And our talents, they're not um, finite talents that we have. It doesn't, it doesn't mean like, oh, you were born with this talent and this is the only talent you have. No, God grows us and he works in us and he makes us better in our different talents as well when we have opportunities to do so. So serving is supposed to be difficult to some sense. It is a sacrifice that we make. When we serve someone, it is not like, oh, I do it out of convenience to serve. No, that's not what serving is. Serving is a sacrifice. It means having a servant's heart where we seek to um, help the other person without really worrying about whether it helps us in any way. It's not this transactional thing where I'm like, oh, I only serve you if you serve me. No, that's, that's not good serving. That's not even good friendships. Friendship shouldn't be based on this transactional sense as well, right? And so this is what our faith is about. Christianity is a faith not of convenience, but it is a faith of truth. And we believe in the truth of the gospel. And we are here to, we are called to bear our own cross and to follow him. So that's why I'm over-explaining all of this. And it's because people have asked us as well, like, why do we talk about this, right? Why is this a thing that we constantly talk about it, talk about? Like, we don't have that many kids compared to the other ministries of our church, right? So why do we care so much? Why are we doing so much? And, and the reality is that, yes, we don't have as many children, right? So theoretically, we could just have someone babysit, right? We could just have childcare, and, and may, maybe people will be like, oh, that's good enough, and that's okay, and that's fine. But that's not what the church is called to do. We're not, we're not called to babysit. We're called to teach and nurture and set up our children with these biblical foundations that will eventually lead to their own faith in Christ. And Paul talks about in 2 Timothy how Timothy has become who he is because he remembers what he learned from his childhood, being acquainted with Scripture's when he was a child. And so Paul sees the significance of knowing the scriptures as a child and to have that foundation so that he later on could be a servant of God himself. 
And that indeed carries on for many of us who grew up in the church, who grew up learning the stories of the Bible. We have these foundations of faith, and that gives us a greater opportunity to experience the power of the gospel. We have those foundations that allow us to experience the truth of the gospel for ourselves. And you could ask any teacher how rewarding it is to see their uh, former students uh, come to know Christ, to be baptized, and to live for him. It is truly the, the best thing that you can experience here on earth, to know that you have helped someone come to know Christ. There's such great joy and honor in being a part of that. So we make all these excuses as to why we can't serve, but there is a need. And if there's a need, that actually means we are being called. We can't just do things that we think we're called to do. No, if there's a need, that means we're called to fill that need as a community. So how do we overcome this? How do we overcome these excuses that we make? Do we just use the wedding crashers rule, right? Um, no excuses, play like a champion? No, it doesn't work like that. God doesn't work like that. God gives us something better that we see here in this passage. And we see his promises for us and for Moses here as well. And actually believing in those promises allow us to move past uh, these excuses and fears and do what he calls us to do. So I want to quickly try to go through these promises. So first, God promises that he will be there with us. When God gives us a calling, he just doesn't leave us out there to do it on our own. He is leading right there beside us and helping us in everything that we do. He promises that he will be there uh, with us, and, and he says he will be there with Moses. In verse 12 of, our, of chapter 3, he says, but I will be with you. So that is the first thing God promises us. Second, God promises his word to us. We have his word. In verse 14, God gives Moses the words to speak. He says, I will give you these words to speak. And we actually have his words as well, and that is through the scriptures. The Bible gives us the words. It gives us the truth. It gives us the, 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 the gospel. The Bible tells us what we need to know and it is his words to us. And even the moments where the scriptures may not tell us exactly what to say, of course, it doesn't address every single thing. It's not a manual in that sense. But we know that his spirit works through the word. And his spirit speaks to us when we know his word. And it enlightens us and it moves us and it can help us as well. Third is God promises to empower us. In chapter 4, verse 5, God shows his power by turning Moses' staff into a snake. So God shows this miracle to Moses, and, and God doesn't call us because we are good enough. No, he says that I will give you the power. I will equip you. I will help you in these things. Moses was not perfect in any way. He had many failures, and that's why he made all these excuses. And so God says, no, I will equip you. I am the one who empowers you. You don't have to be the best at all these things. We, you don't have to be even good. If God is calling you and God is working in you, he will use you. He will help you to get better as well. In whatever way you serve, most likely you, you probably won't even be good in the beginning. In many ways, when we first serve, you can ask other people who have served in different ways, we're not very good in the beginning. We have many failures. We fall short in many ways. But God works through us. And even in the ways that we fail, God still uses those things. And so we just simply answer the call. 
And you can even ask our live stream team. We, it took us a long time to work on this and to get to a place where we're okay, where we're doing pretty good, and we still have a lot of things to get better at as well. Next is God promises he will help us and use us. He promises that he will help us, and, and we see that God gives Moses the words to speak, like we said earlier, but he also says that he will send his brother Aaron to help him, right? And God uses our weaknesses and gives us the grace and abilities to carry out the tasks and purposes that he has for us. And he will give us help. The community helps us. Others help us through that. And God sends them to us to help us to grow and serve one another. Again, it's not about me, right? That's not what we're, that's what we're trying to get away from. It's not about me. It's about living in community. It's not about me being good enough, but it's about us as a community serving one another and growing together and doing this as a body of Christ. So may we hold on to these uh, promises here today and ask the Lord to help us to believe all of these promises and believe that they are true indeed. Now these became true for Moses, and he answered God's call, and he eventually led his people out of slavery. But, um, but for us here today, it is so much more true. And the reason is we have Christ in us, and he, we have the victory of Christ through his death and resurrection. By his blood, we have received the ultimate victory already. He has paid it all. He has done the work, and we have his spirit in us. And so these promises are even more true for us than they were for Moses. So when we do all these things in Christ, we know that Christ will be the one who carries us forward. And as Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So Christ if we believe in him, he will carry us forward. If we seek to truly serve him and serve one another, he will help us and lead us. No matter how ungifted we are, untalented we are, no matter how scared we are, no matter how nervous we are, God promises that he will work through us if, as long as we have that servant's heart and we will help one another to grow as a community. So, Brothers and sisters, let us hold one another accountable and take responsibility for our actions. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> we have the power of Christ in us, and so now let us live, live it out. Live it out in our lives each and every day. So when we begin to make excuses in our minds and we begin to have these thoughts of, no, I can't do this, I, I don't have time to do this, I'm not good enough to do this, someone else can do it, it's not my talent or gifting. Now, again, talent and gifting and, and fit is important, right? We're not going to make you do something that you can't do at all. But it's not the main thing. The main thing is that we are willing to serve, that we have a servant's heart, that we love one another and we seek to serve one another in the name of Christ because that is what ultimately the church is about. All the members of the body using their gifts and talents, using what God has given you, to serve and love one another, to grow the kingdom of God. Now, give, God has given us all abilities and talents. That is what the Bible says. God has given us all abilities and talents. And 
and we are all integral parts of the body. And so whatever fears we may have, uh, we don't have to make these excuses anymore. So church, may these promises that God has given to Moses be the promises given to us by Christ and by his power. We can overcome these excuses and answer his call, right? To turn away from our sins, from our selfishness, from our pride, and instead turn to him, to live for him, to serve him, to share the gospel, to, to, to build his kingdom here on earth. So, Lord, may, so may the Lord change our hearts here today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may you work in us, O oh Lord. May you work in our hearts. Lord, we have made excuse after excuse as to why we sin against you, as to why we um, don't answer your call. And so God, help us here today. Help us to make these changes, to believe in your promises, that we are doing this not on our own effort, not on our own ability. It doesn't matter really about us at all. Lord, it is about you, living for you, because we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us here today. May your spirit move in our hearts that we would slowly but surely move away from these excuses in life that we make and now live for you and answer the call that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.